The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. When we think of the term justice, and I'm going to pray in a moment, when we think of the word term justice, we often think of our government, and, and truly God has placed on the government this mandate to, to bring justice in, in a, a, a realm that they rule over. But before we get lost in the granite halls of bureaucracy, let's grip our conscience with the Bible says that you and I are called to do justice. There's a famous passage in Micah 6 8 that says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So today's text is in Jeremiah chapter uh, 22. And God's spokesman here, uh, Jeremiah, is addressing the king. And he makes justice a central thing to good governance. But as, in fact, uh, yeah, there it is on the screen. Look at, look at these two verses, and then we'll pray. Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on the throne of David. You Now, notice he goes, it's not just you, king, you and your servants, and not just the servants unto you, but your people, everybody. So, so this context of justice applies not just to a governing rule, but to everyone, to all your people who enter the, these gates. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, this is a weighty subject, and uh, my prayer this evening is that we would leave here both uh, feeling the weight of the subject, but also excited about being... Um, your hands and your feet doing justice in a world that is, is so unjust. Help us to grapple with the text. Help us to love you because of it. Thank you that you are a just God. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. We are distracted. We are bored. We are sinful. We are confused. Uh, Lord, we need your help to hear your word. Give us, give us listening hearts, we pray. For your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So this evening, we're going to define justice from Jeremiah chapter 22. We're going to identify categories susceptible to injustice, as the Bible does. And we're going to talk about God's special attention. God's special attention to those susceptible to injustice. And this has a a strong gospel application to it. So first of all, let's consider what's going on here. Jeremiah is delivering an an admonition to the king about justice to be done in the hearing of all his people. And so there's two two thoughts that start out here. Yes, justice starts with the powerful, the rulers of government and business. And this is why we want fair trade and fair practices. And we we want just government that's honest and that's fair. But justice is also the responsible of good citizens. And as people who are belong to the kingdom of Jesus through his, his grace and being citizens of his eternal kingdom, we have an obligation now to say, okay, Jesus, what does it mean for us to, um, to live a just life? Uh, to kind of give you a little context here, um, there's a verse in Psalm chapter 89, verse 14, uh, which, which is actually um, 
a, a powerful verse in defining how Jesus runs things. Okay, it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Now, get this. What does Jesus' rule look like? What does his kingdom look like? Righteousness and justice. And flowing from that, steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. And uh, up at River of Grace, we're looking at actually going through this. Uh, John was joking with me. I'm practicing for tomorrow. I'm not practicing for tomorrow. I've got a good meal I'm sharing with two congregations. No, actually, I'm not even preaching in Concord. We have a started a congregation up in Campton, up near Plymouth. And so I guess I get to go up there tomorrow morning. But in that verse, it's very clear that, that the, the, the throne of God, the rule of God is founded upon righteousness and justice and, and loving Kindness or, or uh, steadfast love flows from that. And why is this important? Because if we are subjects to King Jesus, then it's it's important for us to know how God. Uh, it's it's important to know how God acts, so that we can act as as loyal subjects or good representatives of His kingdom. And, or another way to say it is. To know how we should act in face of our modern problems, the, 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 the struggles that we face around us, the injustices, and, 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 and the dilemmas of, of the unrighteousness that floods uh, our world. We must understand how God eternally acts because we want to be like our dad, our father. By the way, the word righteousness shows up like, like 260 times in the Bible. It's a big word. It's It's weighty. Justice shows up about half of that amount of time. Not that those numbers mean anything, but righteousness is this. It's, it's, it, you take a word like righteousness, go. How, well, if it's so important, if it means it's said so many times in the Bible, what does it mean? Um, well, it's easy to say. Well, righteousness is doing right, or and this is one thing that we discovered last week is that righteousness is never devoid of relationship. It's an expression of of devotion to a relationship. So righteousness to, to my wife Sharon is to, to be devoted in my, in my uh, expression to her, a right expression. Well, justice is making things as they ought to be. And that's, that's what we're going to look at beginning here. As a definition of justice, as you sort of wrap your arms around all of the scriptures... Um, defining, I'm going to define justice this evening as making things as they ought to be. Now let's, um, let's read Jeremiah chapter 22. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Thus says the Lord, Go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hands of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. So, so here God is in, in the old covenant ex expressing his rule on earth through a nation. And he's telling a king, he's saying, listen, you want my blessing, you want, you want 
a, a continuation of what I've, I've prospered in the past, then do justice. Make things as they ought to be. And as we look at this text, there's, a, so there's sort of justice that has this proactive restoration to it. Justice is restoring things as they ought to be. Look what he says there. Deliver from the hands of the oppressor those who've been robbed. On Monday, I was taking a renewal um, orientation for citizen involvement in the Department of Corrections. I've been volunteering in the prison for like nine years, and every three years you have to go through the same course. It was really a, a, a great two-hour course. She got done in an hour and a half, which was really made even better. Fourth time I've sat through this stuff, and uh, I, 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 one of the PowerPoint slides talked about inmate employment opportunities. There's an expectation that every inmate resident will work. Jobs include landscaping, barbers, janitorial, floor care, specialists, culinary, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> Pay starts at $1 an hour and can reach $3 an hour for essential facility jobs. Part of the reason they want, want the inmates to work is so that they are starting to, they're, they're ex extending a sense of responsibility. They're not just waiting for their sentence then. They want them to practice responsibility. So at the canteen, they can purchase personal care items. They also have a copay on their medical and dental visit of $3. Uh, there are classes that they can take. They can earn their uh, high school diploma. They can actually earn college credits but they have to pay for them, like, you know, like $5 a class or things like that. One thing I noticed in there, though, is that if in their, if the court has determined that, uh, that, th that, that um, their judgment includes restoration to the victim, it will automatically be deducted from their account. You see, justice m restores things. It, it, it pays back or sets right and as this text says, deliver from the hands of the oppressor those who have been robbed. In Exodus, we get this. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he must pay back five heads of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. God is a God who believes in restoration. You see, this fallen world we live in is filled with injustice where people are robbed and mistreated and abused. And justice is restorative. It also is protective. So it's not just restorative, it's protective. It protects the vulnerable. Justice is securing things as they ought to be. And it says this in the text, and do no wrong or violence to resident aliens. That means people have moved who are not Jewish who have moved to Israel. And, and do no wrong violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. These are the categories, of, and we'll talk about this in a moment, the categories of the susceptible. And we'll talk about this in a moment. But, but at this point, the Bible gives a number of examples of how this applies. It gives an economic example in Leviticus, for instance. It says in Leviticus, do not use dishonest standards. This is, in other words, you're, if you're selling things, when measuring length, weight, or quantity, use honest or righteous scales and honest weights. Show no favoritism in your business dealings. In fact, later, also in Leviticus 19, it actually uses that word favoritism, and it says this. Do not pervert justice, okay? Don't pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. 
So this idea of, of, of justice is to make things as they ought to be. Or again, we feel, use that word, f- make things fair. Because the whole idea of God's kingdom is it's a place of wholeness. There's no lack. In other words, there, there, there's no need for res, res, uh, restorative or restitution because there's no lack. Everything is, pr- and then it's safe. It's protected. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in the kingdom of God, the eternal heaven and earth, where it's all fair and there's no abuse of, of, of practices, there's no mistreatment. There's, and, and think of how that relieves your anxiety to even think about that, a place of shalom or peace. So this definition of, of uh, or no, yeah, the definition of, of um, justice was making things as they ought to be. Here, let's talk about the categories susceptible to injustice. Oh, you can go ahead to the next slide, yep. Categories susceptible to injustice, those unable to sustain themselves. I, I, looking at all the different categories, the fatherless, the, the resident aliens, the widows, the poor, people who have not the ability to sustain themselves in a way that would be, that, that would be secure. And so in, in um, Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 13 through 16, I don't have it all up there. But uh, I have some of it up there. Let me read Genesis, I mean, I'm sorry, not Genesis. Jeremiah chapter 22. Uh, I'm going to read 13 through 16. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice. Now there's a warning. Building a house, expanding it, adding extra rooms by injustice. Woe to him who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cut out windows for it, paneling it with cedar, and painting it with vermilion, whatever that is, the the Sherwin-William guy here, I don't know, no, okay. Um, (laughs) Do you think, uh, this is, then Jeremiah addresses the king, do you think you are a king because you compete in cedar? In other words, does does that define your kingdom, like how nice your crib is do you did not your fathers eat and drink and do justice and righteousness then it was well with them he judged the cause of the poor and needy then it was well is not this to know me declares the lord as as we read the text and again the term justice comes up like 130 times in the Bible. And these categories, in fact, actually when the scriptures read from Psalm 35 this evening, uh, in that it talks about how God comes to the aid of the poor. What we have in the text in Jeremiah is a comparative study between an unjust king who measured his success in, in his cedar, his expensive, lavish living, compared to the king who judged the cause of the poor and needy, who took care of the susceptible. And, and, and Jeremiah is saying, these are the ones that God blesses. Now remember, this message is to the king, to his subjects, and to all his people. So I was driving down here uh, from Concord, that one of my prayers, Lord, is I was, I was asking the Lord for his blessing. The Bible says he blessed Abraham that he'd be a blessing and that, that we should seek the blessing of the Lord, right? We want his blessing. But this text says blessing comes when we deal justly with people. 
So then we have to ask a question, why are, why are these people susceptible to injustice? Well, the basic answer is they have an inaccessibility to the means of sustenance. If you're a resident alien, you don't speak the language, you don't have friends, you don't have the business network, you don't understand the culture, and so you are, by all intents and purposes, shut out of the marketplace because it's foreign to you. And so the people of God must, must come to the aid of those who can't break into the, the, the economic system. If, if a, a child is fatherless or a woman is is a widow, the primary means of income was the male in, the, in, in that culture, and they were susceptible. It didn't mean that they couldn't earn, they couldn't go out and work, it just meant that they were susceptible to not having the ability to sustain, sustain themselves. Levit- Leviticus 25, 25 says, and again, this whole concept comes up all through the scriptures. If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. So the family becomes God's first means of justice and protection. Then it goes on further in Levit- Leviticus. If any of, uh, Leviticus 25, 35, if any of your f- fellow Israelites become poor and unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and a stranger so that they can continue to live among you. Now we understand work is required by all who can. We're all to be productive and contributing to family and culture and neighborhoods. Second Thessalonians clearly says for everyone, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule the one who is unwilling to work should not eat. It's not the one who's unable to work, but the one who's unwilling to work. So working, even at the, 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 the smallest level, is essential. But even someone who works hard is unable to, to sustain themselves. Justice says we must come around them and, and secure their provision. And so categories susceptible to injustice, those unable to sustain themselves. And, and for us, okay, remember, we got two levels here. We got the government that this was written to, okay? Then, then we got all the people. So for us, what does that look like? Does it mean family members? Does it mean neighbors? Does it mean church members when you get some? <laughs> what does that look like? Well, this kind of leads us to where Jeremiah goes. Jeremiah 22 um, we read in verse 15, God shows special attention for those susceptible to injustice. So here's, the, here's, here's where the gospel sort of, God shows special attention to those who are susceptible to injustice or unable to sustain themselves. Well, who in this room is unable to sustain themselves in God's presence and in his kingdom? All of us. So part of this is is, and, and we'll get to this, is, is, has gospel implication. One of our elders, his dad passed away this week, um, and Joe is in his 80s. His, his wife had passed away in May, and when his wife passed away, they'd been married 65 years, and I got to visit with Joe and, 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 and did the graveside for his wife. Uh, but I spent time with Joe. He was, he, he was an invalid at that point. They were both still li- he was still living at home, but... but but um, very frail, and sitting and listening to his story and listening to um, the fact that 
he, he lived out in the country in Canterbury, north of Concord, but out of his basement for like 35 years ran a bakery that supplied most of the fresh bread to the restaurants of Concord. He'd been in, 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 in the military, I think he was in the Korean War. Um, but listening to him, spending time with him, I got to know him. Well, as we spend time with our Father, we understand that our Father in heaven has this heart of justice, which if we are his children, we want to honor. Listen to some of these verses. Again, remember, justice appears a lot in the Bible. Deuteronomy 10.18. God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. You hear what he says there? God cares about those who are susceptible to injustice, who have, an in, have a hard time sustaining themselves. Psalm 68.5, God is a father to the fathers, a defender of the widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Psalm 146.9, the Lord watches out over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. So what do we see when we see that God shows special attention to those? Well, we see his gospel. Because this practical outworking of God's care for those who can't care for themselves is exactly what God does in the big picture. And justice is a reenactment, is a reenactment of God's saving grace in our lives. Every act of mercy, every battle for justice, every time attention is given to the susceptible, to those who are susceptible to injustice, we are showing the gospel impact because we were all fatherless. We were all orphans. We were all aliens in God's world. We were all unable to sustain ourselves in his righteous kingdom because we are unrighteous. And so God's great act of justice is the cross. And so every time we show justice, we are reenacting that. Listen, the reason meals are so important to Christians, we got like 13 missional communities going, we insist they do meals. Why? Because it is the last act of the gospel when God redeems his people and invites them into his home to his table. And there's something that deeply resonates in there as we feel the gospel being reenacted. And so justice, this acts, the acts of justice that we do are expressions of the gospel. The gospel is a message. It is a message we declare. But it is also reality we live. And one without the other is an unbalanced presentation of the grace of God. The other thing we do is we learn from his children. The poor Teach me about faith, contentment, generosity, joy. Now I'm talking about me. See, I'm, I'm upper middle class. Well, not maybe upper. I'm just middle class. I, you know, I'm, I, I'm comfortable, right? I'm comfortable. I don't know what it's like to depend on God for today's daily bread. We need to be around those who are relying on God, even if they don't even believe in, in the Jesus we believe in, who are, who, are, who are daily desperate for care because they're not able to sustain themselves. We need to be around them to learn what it means to be children of God. 
in the last 14 years I've been in Concord, the Lord's opened doors into neglected communities. So I mentioned being among prisoners. I lead a missional community with elderly. We have, we have relationships with immigrants and, a, and a, um, a pastor from Africa has been a good friend of ours. In fact, I remember we used to have a big van because we had five kids and he, he, he'd been in the States for like 18 months and his wife and six kids were arriving from uh, I think I forget where they're flying in from somewhere in Central Africa and they needed someone to go pick him up so I had a big van we went down there and I had his name's Clement and his wife gets off the airplane and his kids and, and daughters are all dressed up and between the seven people getting off the plane they had one suitcase Clement's getting his his oldest daughter's getting married next week and he invites us to the, the wedding God's blessed us in that to to see how God provides for the immigrants he's uh, Clement has, he, he's a full-time worker with, uh, used to be Lutheran services, but they had to change the Lutheran name, so I think it's Eccentria. He's full-time with them, but he's also a full-time pastor of the largest African, uh, African immigrant church in Concord. Um, and that's been eye-opening for me. And about four years ago, I got introduced to this large mentally ill, commun- mental Ill community in Concord. Uh, and we began a Bible study among them and started a, a uh, missional community with them. And of course, we tried them doing meals and that wasn't so cool. So we asked the body of Christ to provide meals and that's been awesome. And they started praying because one of the biggest challenges this community has is they have no transportation. So just to make it to church, we have a high-functioning woman who mentally ill who, who piles them in her, her car and she aggravates us by calling, can you pick up so-and-so, can you pick up so-and-so? And, and uh, she's pretty persistent. And so they started praying for a minibus. We had borrowed a 15-passenger van, but then we couldn't borrow it anymore. So they started praying for a minibus. And last fall, someone dropped 15 grand into our offering plate for a minibus. They didn't know they were, that, that the, the, this group of people we're praying for it. And so we, we got a minibus and then we didn't, it, it was on its way to be delivered, a used one, and it broke down. Come to find out it was a lemon. We got all our money back and they kept praying and they kept praying. And another like 14 grand to begin. So we got 29 grand. We could buy a really good minibus now. And we went to another, went after another one and come to find out that was a rust bucket. And so, so it's been a year and we still don't have a minibus. Now we're online with another one. We would, you think 29,000 would buy a nice pretty minibus. And we're not getting a, a 15 passenger because the mentally will have a hard time getting into, they need, they need a more like a school bus. Anyway, I'm sharing all that to say in the whole year that, that we've had the money and it's been growing and all that, I've never heard any of these people complain, why wouldn't God hurry up? Because in their community, they've learned uh, they're usually at the last of the line. They're in social services. Our, our, our state does the best it can for the state we are. You know, and, but they're used to being at the end of the line. They're used to waiting a long time. They're used to, they've developed just a culture of patience. That was really good for me to see. Because, you know, we, us, we're, we're, we're super impatient, Right? Uh, we had a mission team down in Mexico a couple months ago, and and Danya Terry, she's been uh, we we worked we stayed at a, a Bible college a seminary. It's been around for sixty years. We're doing work there. Worked in some of the orphanage. The, the the housekeeper cook who cooked for us breakfast and dinner. She's been there for thirty years. She's about ready to retire. She makes one hundred and sixty dollars a month. Her roof in her house was leaking. 
So, so we, we said, let's buy whatever the material is, the, the plastic paint or whatever it is to, to cover it. It costs like $180, more than her month, a monthly income. She takes us down to her house, and uh, the first thing she said, which no Americans ever said to me, and said to our little group that went in, she says, my house is now yours. It's yours. Stay here if you, need, if you ever need a place. It's yours. It's, it's yours. It's not mine. You see, we learn from his children as we, as we practice justice because they learn things from the Father that those who have much have a hard time learning. There's a book, that kind of, uh, it's called Slow Kingdom Coming. It's about a, a Christian brother who works in the um, social justice realm. He does a lot overseas. A couple applications in this thing is, is that as we learned to live among people who are... Um, are susceptible to injustice and cannot sustain themselves. We must pay attention to what their lives are like. We must confess that we are, we don't come there with the answers. We come there as learners. And we must show great respect for who they are and the way they care for each other. One last thing is when, when, when we show special attention to those susceptible to injustice, we are being like Jesus. He says in Luke, woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe your mint and your rue and your herb. They tithe everything. And you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to be done. And as an outsider, let me just say, is you ought to tithe everything you get. Everything you should be tithed. But that's just what Jesus said. <laughs> it's a little, can I add that in there? <laughs> Push, there's a box back there. <laughs> um, but... Don't neglect the big, you know, Jesus says, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus tells a story in Matthew, uh, Luke. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. This is what Jesus does, inviting us to his table. As we walk away from here, that line there, he judges the cause of the poor and needy. This is what the good king did. Remember, we got Jeremiah doing a, a study of comparison between a king who's, you know, he boasts in his cedar and, the, and, and king, uh, the just king who cared for the poor. And, he's, and, and so the conclusion was, he judges the cause of the poor and the needy, then it is well. Is not this to know me? You see, when we practice justice to those who are susceptible to injustice, those who cannot sustain themselves, this is to know God. To know his gospel, to know, learn from his children, be like Jesus. And I, I think the verse I want to conclude with this is kind of a reminder of how Jesus came and practiced justice. He came to us who were susceptible and to the injustice of, or the, actually the justice, but the inability to sustain ourselves from the, the justice of God in the sense of our fallenness. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and this springboarded so you can lead to communion, but for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. It's a glorious thing to know a just father as his children. May we make ourselves uh, servants of those 
who are poor and needy, that they might experience the same grace Christ has shown us. Lord, thank you for this study. Thank you for these, these words. Thank you for Jeremiah 22. Thank you that you're a God of, of justice. Lord, um, two prayers, Lord. One is we pray up for those in authority over us in business and in government that, Lord, they would execute justice on those who are susceptible to injustice, those who cannot sustain themselves. And may we applaud them and support them and, and rally around them and vote for them when, when they do it with a, 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 uh, just integrity and, and humility and, and fairness. But Lord, on, on the lower level, I pray that you would give us hearts for those around us who are susceptible to injustice because of their condition. Whether it be resident aliens, aliens, fatherless widows, or just poor. And Lord, may we be like Jesus to them. And learn from them. And, and because of our heart like a father, make these platforms for the proclamation of the God who sent his son, though he was rich, became poor. That through his poverty, we might become rich. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.